Hi, I'm Frank Daly and welcome to That Sounds Interesting podcast, which features interviews, discussions and short stories on topics which are unusual but relevant in the current world. Today's podcast is a short story, Throwbacks, which I wrote about two years ago and recently recorded an audio version. The story is set in Berlin in the present day. A man finds out that he has an unusual genetic condition which sets him apart from humanity and changes his life. But before we get into the main topic for this episode, I have three that sounds interesting nuggets from the internet. Combining a conventional camera and a smartphone, using art for resistance, and the dark side of gene editing. A new camera product due out later this year called Alice Camera provides an interchangeable lens, camera body and sensor similar to the Panasonic GH5 but much smaller, with a connection to your smartphone, leveraging the best of both technologies. It solves two problems. First, the connected smartphone app will have a much better user interface than the traditional cameras and provide AI-powered computational photography. And second, even the most expensive iPhone or Samsung phone still have a tiny sensor and lens compared to traditional cameras. So soon you can use existing lenses, have a much larger sensor for better quality images and have the advantages of a slick smartphone interface and instant access to the internet and social media. The only fly in the ointment is that it will cost about €850 when it's released later on this year. As often is the case, art reflects society, and no more so than in Myanmar, where artists across the country are using art and photography, depicting images in opposition to the military coup. The artwork has been used in street protests and also online, and many of the works depict ordinary citizens giving the three-finger salute as a symbol of resistance. The idea of this three-finger salute comes from the popular series The Hunger Games, so it has struck a chord with people across the country. CRISPR, the gene editing technology, has the potential to be used in the treatment of certain diseases by fixing broken parts of our DNA. But there is a darker side, the ability to remove what are considered faulty DNA genes by editing embryos has the potential to make fundamental changes to future generations, the consequences of which may only be discovered when it's too late. The latest issue of Scientific American discussed this in the article called The Darker Side of CRISPR. And now to the main course, the short story Throwbacks. Throwbacks by Frank Daly August 2018, Berlin When I got the news at my apartment that a parcel had been delivered to a nearby packet station, I was excited. I had been waiting for news for several months about a research project in which I had been involved. I rushed around to the local store and picked up the parcel. Back at my apartment, once I had ripped open the package... I found it contained two research papers on the subject of ancient man. They were translations, as the originals had been in Portuguese. 
Prehistoric man had never been of much interest to me until about two years earlier when quite by accident I discovered I was more closely related to my ancestors than the majority of the population. Just before that time I had decided to get my genome sequenced as I thought it would be useful to know if there were any potential future medical conditions in the years ahead which could be identified by gene defects. I had wrestled with the idea for several weeks, wondering if it would be better to know or not to know, and finally I decided to go for it. Although the genome sequencing revealed nothing startling from a future health perspective, the report had a special note from a Dr. Fernandes, a notable gene specialist from Portugal. The genome team had contacted him regarding some surprising connections in my genes, and he would be happy to discuss it with me. He was working on secondment in nearby Humboldt University at the centre of Berlin. A week later, I went to the university to discuss the findings with Dr. Fernandez. He was a tall, thin man in his early 40s, roughly the same age as me. Herr Brink, I'm glad to meet you, he said, holding out his hand as I arrived. Unusual results, I asked. He nodded. But it's not totally unique, as we have come across a few other cases like yours. It felt strange to be referred to as a case. Would you be interested in taking part in a study, he asked. We are researching the differences between your genes and the wider public. Perhaps, I replied. Let me think about it. Okay, but if you do participate, we'd be happy to share our findings with you. And we have several others in the study, as I mentioned. As I made my way back home, I wondered about my past ancestors and the genes that they had passed on to me. What had I got to lose? I'd find out more about myself, and that could be useful. I called Dr. Fernandez the following day. I'm in, I told him. Great, he said. It won't take too much of your time. Just some blood tests some cell samples from time to time, and a meeting about once every month for a year. Come in next week if it suits you. The following week I arrived at the university, slightly apprehensive, but Dr. Fernandez put me at my ease and introduced me to his research colleague. Then he and I sat and talked for a while. What we found was that you are more closely related to Neanderthal man than most of the population. I raised my eyebrows to query what he meant, and he explained. Neanderthal man died out more than 70,000 years ago and was replaced with Homo sapiens, although we have a small number of Neanderthal genes in us due to the interbreeding, but probably less than 2%. And you found more genes in my sample. Yes, that's what has us excited. You appear to share 5% of your genes in common with Neanderthals, and we want to investigate how that occurred. We've found others who are similar, and they've agreed to be part of this research project. I should have had some inclination that I was different, as I've always been very hairy and have a receding jawline and furrowed brow. These features had often resulted in teasing when I was a teenager, along with the catchphrase, Brink the Missing Link which after a while my peers shortened to just link. I didn't like it, but what could I do? There were others who suffered much more because of merciless 
teenage derision, and perhaps because I just accepted it, it never became an issue for me. By the time I was a young adult, I had moved to Berlin to go to university, and the nickname disappeared. I'd never considered it again until my new discovery 25 years later. Soon my monthly meetings became routine, and a year went by very fast, and eventually the time came for Dr. Fernandez to bid me farewell as he returned back to his university in Portugal to write up his research. As time went by, I heard nothing from him, but my newfound condition prompted me to start my own research, and I set up a meetup, inviting others who might have suspicions, due to the way they looked, that they were more closely related to our distant cousins. Soon we had many people who attended the monthly meetings and it gave them new confidence as their simian looks had always been a disadvantage and others had mocked them. Now this new group would no longer accept the shame heaped upon them by others. The tide was turning. We were starting to gain acceptance, mainly because we had managed to establish contact with other groups in cities across Europe and beyond. After a year, I received a letter from Dr. Fernandez. It read, We are nearing the completion of our work and I expect my team to have two research papers finished soon. As promised, I will translate them and send them to you to let you know what we discovered in the programme. I discussed this with my friends at the meetup, which I had called throwbacks, to reclaim the word. It was no longer an insult, but a way of cherishing our ancient genes. At the monthly throwbacks meetings, we discussed the lives of our ancestors, the differences in our skulls compared to Homo sapiens, but most importantly we strove to prove that we were not stupid subhumans that had somehow survived into the modern world. After several months, our numbers in the Berlin group had grown to about 40 All of us had come out of the darkness to shake off the abuse of fellow men and be able to live our lives without fear of mockery, disgust and humiliation. Although I had mostly managed to avoid such abuse, probably because my upright spine made me similar to other humans, all of my other friends at the throwbacks group had curved spines, longer arms and somewhat more simian features than me. I shared Dr. Fernandez's letter with my throwbacks friends and we planned to discuss the research papers when they arrived. What amazed me was something which had been hidden part of me for most of my life was now becoming a significant part of my existence. Suddenly everything I read and discussed was seen through a Neanderthal filter. My heritage had gone from embarrassment in my teenage years to something of pride in my 40s and having other friends who shared my lineage made it all the more attractive to me. We had finally gained traction, and we were a recognised minority. Back at my apartment, I read through the just-delivered research papers, eager to understand Dr. Fernandez's findings. The first study showed the differences between the rest of the population and us, but the second study was a more in-depth analysis of the genes, This study had found that my condition of having 5% of Neanderthal genes was not as unusual as had been thought. In fact, it was commonplace, 
and people like me made up one third of the population. The blood drained from my face as I read and reread the paper, feeling a sense of enormous disappointment. Suddenly, my sense of pride in being different but not an underdog had no footing. I was unremarkable, nothing unusual, not exotic. A third of all humans were throwbacks, even if they didn't realise it. I railed against it, disputed it in my mind. It was false research. I was in total denial. And then I realised I needed a plan as my throwbacks meetup was expecting me to discuss the paper at the next meeting. I arrived slightly late for that meeting and the numbers had swelled to over 100 eager faces, throwbacks, friends and family all waiting for my news. I stood up on the podium and cleared my throat and the crowd fell silent. Ladies and gentlemen, I have good news and bad news this evening. Unfortunately, the research has been delayed. Its funding is being questioned and may be cut. So it could be a lot longer than we anticipated before we find out the results of the study. I am disappointed, as I'm sure you all are, but I am encouraged to know that regardless of the research, we know that we are a unique section of society. Once we were dismissed as imbeciles, but now through our hard work, we are established as an important relation to Homo sapiens. Our genes once considered a debilitating condition, are now a source of our pride. They cheered. I knew I had lied. They stood up and clapped. I felt vindicated despite my deception. I continued. And now the good news is that the venue for the International Throwbacks Convention has been arranged and we can plan the activities tonight. Once we were outcasts, now we are exotic rare and desired. The crowd burst into further clapping and cheering. I looked down for a moment and spotted something on my trousers. It was a piece of ash from the research papers, which I had burned at my apartment. I wiped it off, symbolically rejecting them. After all, the researchers were in a small university in an isolated part of northern Portugal. The research was in Portuguese, so no one outside a tiny section of academia would ever know. The throwbacks were rising, and we weren't going to let a little scientific research get in our way. Okay, that's it for now. I'll be back soon with another guest and another podcast of... That sounds interesting, and see you next time.